When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Join me for insightful conversations and interviews about our cattle industry. Here we discuss the shared struggles and successes of this life we've chosen as ranchers. Here we seek to learn from the experts around us, eager to grow and challenge the accepted. Here we are, the Black Hereford Chronicles. Thank you guys for being so forgiving about the mistake in the introduction in the previous episode. I swear this time, it really is Matt Spangler of UNL talking about genetic defects. Stick around after the interview to hear my thoughts on the F1 debate. You know how I like intentionality, and today's episode is going to fit right in with that. I sat down with Matt Spangler to talk about genetic defects, what they are, what ones really matter, and how seed stock breeders should be approaching them, both old known defects and the discovery of new ones. Let's dig in. You've heard me talking about Tim and Teresa Tarter at Triple T Farms. Triple T have been in the Black Hereford business since 2008. They believe in the future of the breed and know that quality genetics are a must. The other piece that you need to know is that you can get your hands on some of those Triple T genetics at the upcoming Kentucky's Finest Sale on October 14th in Nancy, Kentucky. The sale will also stream on DV Auctions. Triple T Farm focuses on breeding stock that will increase profitability and are backed up by data. Make sure you've got Kentucky's Finest on your calendar for October 14th. For more information about Triple T or the sale, you can visit their website, TripleTBlackCattle.com, or give Tim a call at 606-305-2289. Hey everyone, I am here with another episode of the Black Hereford Chronicles, and today we are going to dig in to one of those things that I think most of us as breeders just kind of check the boxes off every year but we don't necessarily dig into a lot deeper about why we're doing what we're doing. And you know, here I'm all about intentionality. So today we're going to talk intentionally about defects. I've got an excellent expert here that I'm really excited about. So would you please introduce yourself to our audience? Tell them what you do in the industry. I'm sure most of them have probably heard of you, but for those that haven't, give us some background. You bet. So I'm Matt Spangler. I'm a professor of animal genetics at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, and I've uh, been in that role for close to 15 years now. Work closely with the beef industry, a lot of uh, beef breed associations, and and my research work is in the area of uh, genetics and genomics. Um, So I work with those organizations in trying to improve their their genetic evaluations, the things that produce the EPDs that, that breeders use to make decisions. And then also I have an extension appointment, which means that I work closely not only with breed associations, but with breeders, both seed stock and commercial, to help them understand the tools that they have available. 
Well, you do a little bit of all of it, I think. <laughs> yeah. And and it and it makes my job enjoyable. Well, and welcome to Extension, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So what I'd like to do today is talk just briefly on some of the bigger defects, and then we'll kind of roll into there about implications to the industry and what we as producers can be doing. Yeah, well, th- th- there are a, a you know a plethora of genetic defects out there, and and um, those those aren't really isolated to a single breed. I think. Um, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, when a, a slew of genetic defects came out that were um, Angus in origin, um, people were quick to point the finger. Uh, so what's Angus doing wrong? The, the reality is, is that every breed harbors genetic defects. Some become higher in frequency, so we see them more often than others. Um, but it, but it's not a singular breed problem. Um, when you think about a breed like Black Hereford, which really originated from two different uh, uh, sources, two breed resources, well, now all of a sudden you're dealing with genetic defects uh, that may have come from from two different uh, places. And so perhaps it's an even longer list uh, that Black Hereford breeders need to need to consider. So on on the Angus side, um, some of the more common defects, um, and and I'll use a bit of shorthand in cases, um, AM. And and that's been out for maybe 10, well, probably closer to 15 years now. Um, and a lot of these defects cause lethality. Um, and, and AM is certainly one that does that. And so calves are born uh, dead or die shortly after birth. The legs appear uh, crooked. The spine appears crooked. The joints are twisted. And, and so those are really the hallmarks of, of AM. Um, one that that doesn't um, necessarily cause lethality is something called DD, which is developmental duplication. Um, and the thing is that it can it can manifest or present in different degrees of severity. So uh, oftentimes people think of it as as something like having an extra limb. Right, having an extra leg, um, and while that could occur, it could be much less notable, uh, noticeable. Right, so so something that does uh, look perhaps like an extra appendage, um, but it could be just a, a very small part of it. Um, and so DD is is another genetic defect originating um, in Angus cattle, but but one that does not uh, cause lethality. Osteopetrosis or uh, marble bone, um, actually of of red Angus origin, uh, one that causes lethality uh, again. So calves are born dead. Marble bone, think of the bones being exceptionally brittle. Um, and, And calves often present with a cleft palate as well. NH, which is commonly called waterhead, um, so again, a genetic defect that's lethal and and comes from Angus origin. Think of that the heads being extremely large. Uh, so on a baby calf, think of something that's like the size of a basketball. Uh, so just looks incredibly abnormal. Um, so the skull is completely malformed, um, and that the cranial cavity is actually filled with fluid. So that's why they they call it. Um, um, hydrocephalus or or waterhead. Um, and so oftentimes those calves are actually aborted 
so you see um, those uh, uh, come early, um, and obviously they're dead, have the hallmark really big cranium, uh, and so that's fairly easy to see. Um, in Angus, they also have something called CA, uh, oftentimes called von calf syndrome, and it's mm -hmm. because the calves, uh, they're not born dead, but they just... They don't look quite right, if you will. So think of a baby fawn, a baby deer, really gant. Um, maybe uh, uh, the the pasterns on the animal don't quite uh, uh, look right. They have a crouched posture. Um, those animals uh, uh, can usually walk. They can usually uh, uh, get milk, right, suckle, and they usually survive. Um, but but there are some structural defects in terms of the inability to extend their hip and their hock joints. Um, and so certainly concerns over uh, reduced performance uh, if the animal doesn't um, uh, uh, doesn't become uh, normal as as they they grow, because sometimes there's substantial recovery when the calf gets uh, several months old. If we now think about Hereford, um, there's more there as well. So hypo, hypotrichosis, um, think of the lack of hair. Uh, so they're born with really short hair. Um, as the animal gets older, the hair kind of looks silverish. Uh, their tail switch probably isn't completely developed. Uh, so obviously an undesirable uh, uh, phenotype. Um, diluter is something that a lot of breeds have to think about. Um, uh, and that's something that if you're a black Hereford breeder, you think about the Hereford um, uh, origin diluter. Um, and so when bulls or, or females are mated to black cattle, uh, they can produce offspring with kind of this gray or, or smoky kind of, of color to it. So, um, you, you know, if, if you're concerned about the, the hide color, um, diluter is certainly an undesirable thing. Um, and then epilepsy, um, IE, uh, so think of seizures, seizures. So epilepsy seizures, um, and the onset may be immediately at birth or the animals may be several months old, um, and comes about as you might suspect through stressors. So, um, if, if you're pushing cattle hard, that may be a stressor. If there's an extreme change in temperature, that could be a stressor. Um, so obviously something that's that's undesirable um, there as well. That to um, me could be a tricky one too, because unless you're there to see the event, you might not know. That's exactly right. You may not, you may not observe it. Um, and, and so, you know, things that are, that are lethal, pretty easy to see, right? right? It's obvious. Some of these are much more subtle. Um, so think of DD that does not present with a, you know, fully formed fifth leg. Right. Um, think of fawn calf syndrome, um, where the animal is not severe and in several months begins to um, correct itself. Um, or think of epilepsy, which develops uh, maybe at, at several months old and you don't observe the, the first seizure. So there are things like that that, yeah, can remain a, a bit bit hidden in the population uh, over time. Um, and then maybe one more in Hereford, uh, MD. Um, and and that's something where the, 
the the animal has facial defects um and think about a cleft palate a short jaw or a crooked face um those are sometimes the the hallmarks of of md in in hereford cattle well an md wasn't that tracked back to one bull that just had a random mutation and that's a very good point all of these are that way oh okay so, so all of these defects um uh, came about in a singular animal, and we call that a de novo mutation. De novo, for those that you know didn't learn Latin like most people, just simply means new. So there was a new mutation in an animal, um, which which was a deleterious defect. These that are recessive in nature, meaning you need two copies of the gene or two copies of the allele to actually show the defect. The, the originators of these defects just had one copy, so they looked normal. But for whatever reason, they were selected to be used heavily. They became major AI sires. Maybe uh, if you think about the case of Angus, they were probably really good in terms of carcass merit, maybe really good in terms of calving ease. And so they were used heavily over and over. Their sons became used heavily. Their daughters were retained in herds. That means that the frequency of that deleterious or unfavorable form of the gene increased in frequency over time. Then all of a sudden, you wind up with a case where carriers of the unfavorable form of the gene start being mated together. And now we see the defect. And so it can take several years, even decades, before these things manifest. But they all trace back at some point, if you go back far enough, to a singular animal that was very prominent in the breed. Boy, I would not want to be the operation with the asterisks on that animal. <laughs> yeah. and But but it means, so I think it's important for seed stock breeders to realize if it's your animal that harbored the, the genetic defect was the originator, you didn't do anything wrong. Right. In fact, you did a lot of things right because... That animal was influential in the breed. It had a lot of good things to offer the breed. Um, and certainly at the time that animal was marketed, nobody had an idea. Right. Um, so it, it's nobody's fault. It is nobody's fault. And the reality is in beef cattle, like other livestock species, we line breed. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you make genetic selection, you increase inbreeding. That, I mean, that's just part of it. Um, and when you increase inbreeding, you increase the likelihood that those bad things out there in the population begin pairing together. So that's just that's just part of what we do. Th that said, um, I can think back, uh, you know, several decades ago, and there were books written about um, uh uh, dwarfism in Hereford, um, I think the Battle of Bull Runt, maybe, where, where the idea at the time was just purge them. So if there's a bull that's producing undesirable calves, genetic defect, get rid of him, get rid of all of his sons, get rid of all of his daughters, just we're going to get rid of everything we can. That's certainly one strategy. Um, a very expensive strategy. It's a very expensive strategy in a lot of ways. Not only do you get rid of a lot of animals, but you probably throw a lot of good away at the same time. So when we think about genetic defects, we're saying that there is one spot in the genome. So, so one 
uh, locus out of tens of millions of spots in the genome, which is unfavorable. Maybe that animal, for all the other things that we really care about, growth, uh, fertility, carcass merit, maybe that animal is really good. So the question is, are we willing to throw it away for the one spot that's undesirable, realizing now with the power of genomics, we can actually test animals, find the carriers, even mate them appropriately, because we know in the case of recessive genetic defects, if we mate a carrier, a heterozygote bull, to a bunch of cows that are homozygous normal, we will never have a defected calf. The only time we have a chance if the genetic condition is recessive in nature is if we made a carrier to a carrier. And then there's a 25% chance the resulting calf will be afflicted. So with the science we have available, I'm an advocate of saying, right, we're not going to throw anything away because we don't want to basically erode all the progress we've made in our selection programs for years. Instead, we're going to harness the power of things like DNA testing to help guide us in which animals should be parents. Or if you think about selling a, a carrier bull to a commercial operation that is A, of a different breed, and B, completely terminal, there's no risk. There's just no risk. So, so I think we have to be smart about how we manage these defects. Have you caught on to how much I love Jason and Kristen over at Schrader's Black Herefords yet? Schrader's are truly industry focused. They know that this industry needs phenotypically powerful cattle with the data to back them up. That's why Schrader's Black Herefords take their data so seriously. If there's a point to be documented, they've got it. As American Black Hereford performance breeders, you'd be hard pressed to find any Schrader's cattle without data, striving to produce the most accurately described genetics possible. They diligently record birth weight, weaning weight, yearling weight, and ultrasound data on every animal sold. Data is collected on all the cows at weaning time, including weight, body condition, and feet and udder scores, keeping contemporary groups intact until yearling to accurately describe all of that data. So if you're like me and you value an operation that's doing it right, that values honest data and encourages customers to make decisions with both eyes wide open, take a look at what Schrader's Black Herefords are doing down in Babtown, Missouri. They'll be taking reservations on upcoming yearlings soon, and you don't want to miss your window. Give Jason a call at 573-680-1439 or check out their website, schradersblackherfords.com, and make sure you follow them on Facebook. Yeah, I let, you're highlighting that word that I use at the beginning that I use all the time, intentionality. You're going to have to be intentional about your mating choices, and you're going to have to be intentional about your marketing to the commercial guy so that, you know, you're being honest and know what they're getting into. That, that's but it's exactly very doable. It, it's very doable. And and the reality is, if, if you look across all major U.S. beef breeds, there is a very long list of genetic defects which are being monitored now um, and more are being added to that list. So there are additional ones that are, are in the, the research phase now. And that list is going to continue to grow. 
so so with that in mind, if if you think we know of a lot of them, but there's a lot we don't know, and there's going to be more that occur, right? No more new mutations in popular animals. If you start throwing away everything that's a carrier of a genetic defect, we won't have cattle left. Right. right? So so that is simply not an option. We have to be smart uh, about the way we actually use those animals. That said, um, this isn't something to hide. So if if you're a seed stock producer, or even if you're a commercial producer, if you have a calf born and you think, wow, that, that just does not look right, um, the first thing to do is you know, ask the question, well, uh, of the defects we've discussed, does it match any of those? If you think, well, I, I don't really know or no, this looks totally different, um, we need to know about it. So, so the association, your breed organization needs to know about it if you're a seed stock producer. Um, you need to document the animal, take photos of it, um, have a postmortem if it's dead, have a postmortem evaluation done, get a tissue sample of that animal. Um, if possible, get a tissue sample on the dam and the sire um, so that the research community and your breed association can track it down. Um, that's that's really the, the right way to, to handle it. And uh, a shameless plug here, I have uh, two colleagues at the University of Nebraska, Jessica Peterson, um, who's a very talented molecular geneticist, and her colleague, Dr. David Steffen, who's in our, our um, uh, vet school, um, they're very good at this kind of thing. And and um, they, they can track these things down and go all the way from knowing um, what uh, the spot in the genome is that's causing it and, and help uh, industry develop diagnostic tests to test for them. But it all starts with being able to document the case um, know exactly what was wrong with the calf, um, having tissue samples available for genotyping. Um, so those kinds of things are extremely important because otherwise, if you think, well, you know, it, it's just one of those things that happened. Well, next thing you know, other herds are having just one of those things that happened. And it goes undetected and unreported until it becomes a bigger problem. So step one isn't call the museum and, and see if they're interested that's, in your calf. That's that's exactly right. And and step one isn't, well, I man, I'd I'd hate to think that we've got a problem. Um you've got to be open about those things because the reality is the world is going to find out at some time. I mean, there's no hiding it forever. Right. Um, so you might as well be on the front of it. And if you're a seed stock producer, and clientele realize, hey, they're doing everything they can to safeguard me as a bull buyer. Uh, I think that matters. Um, and so people should view it that way. Yeah, it's all about building that trust. And that's that's a key part of it. That's that's exactly right. It, it's trust. Um, it's truth in advertising. And it's it's using available science to to diagnose problems. Um, and, and the reality is it. It is somewhat painful to think of the money spent in uh, genomic testing for defects alone. Yes, and we hear lots of squawking about that. And I understand that. Uh, believe me, I understand it. Um, 
However, if you're a seed stock producer, that's part of the the cost of doing business. And it's why you uh, get to ask a premium for your cattle. Right. That's exactly right. I, I would say um, that that there is science becoming uh, more broadly available to the industry in terms of whole genome sequencing that I could envision one day helping us identify potential problems um, before it becomes a large industry issue. So it is disappointing to think that it, the bull that is the progenitor of, of the defect was born you know, 10, 20 years ago, and we're just now finding the problem, right? That's frustrating. But you could imagine that heavily used bulls uh, could have their whole genome sequenced, and we could interrogate their genome and look for these new or de novo mutations. At that point, we may not know, are they deleterious, right? Are they bad or not? But we know these things are new to this bull. And and we could then begin to interrogate, well, where are they in the genome? What kind of mutation is it? Is it one that could possibly cause a problem? Um, and, and either set up design matings, um, use newer technology like um, uh, cloning coupled with uh, gene editing to ask the question, is this going to cause uh, a problem down the road? So we identify issues before they truly manifest. That's not something that's done now, but I could envision a day where we're able to screen um, uh, heavily used bulls or bulls that have the potential to be heavily used uh, much earlier. Well, and the gene editing is an interesting one because we see we're just on the cusp of that, you know, and there's talk about slick gene and all sorts of things. And to me, these kinds of issues are where that's going to make a lot of sense. Yeah. And and there's a, a lot of, of, of new technologies that could potentially be added to the, the toolbox that breeders already have. Gene editing is one of them. Um and and of course, that's something that we need to ensure that the the public sees the value in, um, because uh, currently I'm not sure that they do, um, and and so I think as as beef cattle breeders we need to be advocates for the use of science, um, because at the end of the day, if you're a seed stock producer, you are an end user of science. You're taking decades of scientific development in terms of the development of EPDs, the genomic tests for defects, the genomic tests that increase the accuracy of EPDs, and you're putting it to use. Um, and so it's important to understand those things and, and be an advocate for it. At the end of the day, what advice would you give producers that are you know, looking at that high input cost on those tests and, and feeling kind of like, oh, MD, that hasn't been around in forever. I, I probably don't need to run these. What would you tell them? Yeah, well, I, I think one, you have to look at what's what's the risk. Um, so one, what's the risk in your herd? But then also, what's the risk to your potential bull buyers? And and if you have a, a bull buyer that, that buys an animal, um, that does end up harboring a, a genetic defect as a carrier, and they see that manifest in their commercial herd, you've likely lost a bull buyer for life. And it's uh, a it's a big industry, but it's a small industry. So they will tell their neighbors. <laughs> exactly. And they have other options. 
Yeah. Right. They, there are other people they can buy bulls from. Um, so so I think it's important to think about it in, in terms of risk. It, it's almost like an insurance policy. Excuse me while I sneak in here to tell you about Walter's Cattle Farm. Robert and Sandy Walters own and operate Walter's Cattle Farm in Kentucky. This is a family and an operation that have been huge and longtime supporters of everything American Black Hereford. If you are looking to add muscling and depth to your herd, Robert is definitely someone you need to give a call. You can find Walter's Cattle Farms on Facebook or reach out to Robert at 270-832-1180. The other thing, speaking of insurance policies, if you're a seed stock producer, let's say a, a new genetic defect comes out. What are the steps? What I advocate for is, is have tissue saved on all the bulls you've used. Maybe that's a straw semen in the tank. Um, maybe that's a, a TSU sample, but it's something. You, you have tissue banked so that then you can go through and start by testing sires. And you can figure out, do I have a problem in the herd? If one of those sires ends up being a carrier, then you've got to go into the cow herd and start testing his daughters. Um, but, but that kind of stepwise approach, I think can, can save money as opposed to saying, well, now we just got to kind of blindly test everything because we have no idea where to start. So think of it as, as an insurance policy, keeping back tissue samples. Like I said, it could be semen on bulls to say, I'm going to start testing here and just have a sense of how big the problem might be in my herd. Well, and I believe most breed associations retain those tissue samples. <laughs> Yeah, that that's true. <clears throat> and so if, if breeders are, you know, routinely genotyping animals, um, you, you should have uh, tissue saved. But I still think it's it's not a bad idea, particularly if you're utilizing AI. Um, go ahead and keep a straw back on the bulls you're using. Uh, I, I just think that's an easy thing to do. And, and one straw per bull doesn't take up a ton of room in the tank. Um, so it just becomes, I, I think, a, a smart thing for seed stock producers to consider. Especially some of these older bulls, you know, that you're starting to see a reduced amount of semen available on them. If something pops up, you want to be able to know. That's, a, that's exactly right. Yep. And then yeah. you you know, do I have a big problem? Um, do I need to start testing cows in the herd? If I do, which cows do I need to begin testing? Um, so I, I just think it's it makes the whole process a, a lot simpler. Well, I really appreciate you have given us a ton of information today, and there's a, a lot to digest here. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and your listeners. Um, and I tell them if they have any questions I can help with on this topic or otherwise, um, don't hesitate to, to reach out to me. Email's the best, and that's mspangler2 at unl.edu. Well, thank you so much. You bet. My pleasure. I want to chat for a minute here about the latest hot topic, if you will, in the Black Hereford world. But first, I want to make it clear that my opinions are just that, my opinions. I don't expect everyone to agree with me. The world would be an awfully boring place if we all agreed all the time. And I thrive on discussion of ideas and having my own thoughts challenged. 
I know that's not normal. In fact, it's taken me well into adulthood to realize that a lot of the time when I think I'm just having a friendly debate or a discussion about something, other people can be taking that as deeply offensive. Turns out not everyone likes to be questioned or have conversations about hard topics. Those in leadership roles should probably be able to do that, but that's an entirely different discussion. I want to share my thoughts on the growing F1 conversation. I need to say again that I don't mind F1s. We've got some F1 buns in the oven right now that I'm particularly excited about. They're a tool and a good one, but they aren't black Herefords. Our rules clearly state what qualifies as a black Hereford. In the last couple of years, I've focused in on marketing and trying to get the word out about our breed. And by far, the biggest thing that I say over and over and over again is what a black Hereford is and that an F1 Baldy ain't it. So when the association decides to allow F1s to compete in Supreme Drives at association sanctioned shows, I bristle a bit. After spending so much time telling people that a black Hereford is a legitimate thing because we've got these specific requirements and it's not just a first year cross, we then crown our very best black Hereford as something that's not even a black Hereford. We're loudly proclaiming, hey, the very best of what our breed has to offer? Yeah, it's not actually our breed. It's a terrible look for us. As far as the certified F1 program goes, providing EPDs to F1 bulls, I know there's a lot of breeders up in arms about it, and I hear their concerns. They feel like it's blurring the lines and potential customers won't understand the difference. That's a legitimate warning bell to ring. I don't mind the program as much. We've sold F1 bulls over the years to very targeted customers with non-British herds who will benefit from that F1. I think, and again, what the hell do I know? But I think that perhaps having a clearer identity for the F1s could help. Something that really sets them apart and makes it clear that they are not black Herefords, they are something different. They can still have value, but they are different. Things along the lines of Balancer or Simangus, you know up front they are an Angus, it's clear. I've always been partial to working Baldy into the name, but I'm sure there's better branding people with better ideas out there. I like to tease about white-faced Angus, but that definitely isn't it. Performance Baldy, Herfgus, Angford, it really wouldn't matter. But having a separate name that clearly defines lines, I think that could save a lot of heartache and confusion down the line. I would love to hear your thoughts on how we allow F1s to shine for the value that they are while keeping our branding and rules on what makes a Black Hereford clear. Head over to the Chronicles Facebook page and share your ideas with me. This boat will row a lot faster if we all work together on it. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Hereford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.